so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Good morning, church. This morning's reading comes from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 31 through to 38. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs in it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence And you are doing what you have heard from your father. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. Uh, Sorry about that. There's so many places at the moment a microphone could be muted. Um, The logical, the microphone itself didn't occur to me. So thank you, uh, Tony, for that. so what we started last week and we're doing this week in this space between Bible reading and sermon. Uh, we're try- going to try and have one each week just to uh, connect uh, in some way a little bit more as a church family, have a video from someone uh, saying uh, hello to the church just so we can connect a little bit more with each other when we can't physically. Um, and as this video was sent through to me uh, this week, I thought, uh, it's unusual for me as a pastor to say this, I guess, but that's such an amazingly beautiful woman. And how did that man, uh, who's quite unattractive, uh, get her? So uh, we'll just have the video for this week, the two Davids. Thank you. Hi, church. Uh, Nick and Christy here. We just want to say a big hello from the Barber family. Uh, we love you. Uh, we love being the church together. Uh, we love, it's been a really different season, but we love that we've still been able to Uh, connect together in some way and and worship together. Yeah, we've really missed gathering with everyone, but um, even though church has looked different in this season, it's still been really encouraging to keep connecting online. Um, We are now going to church on Sundays, and so that's also looking quite different. But um, can I just encourage everyone that no matter what it is or what it looks like, just set time for church every week, Um, whether that be 10 o'clock Sunday morning, or in the afternoon with your family. Um, the boys have really loved engaging with Kids Church Online. We've been so grateful for those resources. So um, connecting in. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we're off uh, now after today, after this Sunday for eight weeks. Um, but church is definitely not off. As Chrissy said, we really encourage you to, to keep connecting in, uh, making a priority and a time for church. It's actually going to be a really awesome time for the church. We've got some really great people speaking into the life of our church over the next eight weeks. But yeah, really just so into this season. Uh, make sure that church is a priority and we're going to reap a real harvest when this is all over, uh, when we can finally come back together as a whole church. So God bless. Uh, goodbye for just a little while. Uh, we'll promise as, as much as in our power, we'll promise that we'll definitely be back. Right. God bless. Bye. Um, I'm going to pray 
And we're going to uh, jump into this scripture this morning. Um, I will say before I pray that uh, we're going to pause this uh, series, The Good News of Jesus According to John. Uh, we're not just going to get to chapter 8 and go, well, that'll do. Um, so Steve and, and Deb, when they speak, they're going to pick up uh, on, on John's gospel. Uh, when I return, we'll pick that back up again. But um, our guest speakers are going to be speaking into what God's put on their heart to share with us. Let's pray. Mm. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. As we we reflect on light and truth this morning, we pray that by your word you would illuminate our hearts to us. We pray that you would illuminate your heart to us. We pray that you would illuminate your truth to us this morning. Give us supernatural capacity to understand not just... Uh, the the theological meaning of the text this morning, but but how you would want to use this word to shape us and transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thank you, Tony, for reading this morning. Uh, we're going to jump into that portion of John chapter 8 in a moment, but I want, I want to just read uh, John chapter 8 verse 12 because this gives us some context to, to what... Uh, that section that Tony read for us this morning. And so in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says this. Well, it says, when, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so this phrase, I am, is actually, uh, you know, we talk about I am doing this, I am that a lot of the time, but in in the original Greek that this is written, there's a redundant word in there, it's ego, I me, which you don't actually need, I forget which one to be honest, the I me, I think, you you just need ego, they would say I, the light of the world, in a sense, but he says I am the light of the world. And and so we, we, we need to capture the meaning of that, because in this Jesus is saying that he is I am. This is the name that Yahweh, the creator God, revealed to, to Moses when Moses said, who, who, who should I say has sent me to your people? Yahweh says, tell them I am has sent you. And so throughout John's gospel, there's these phrases, and this is actually the second time it appears uh, in this way where, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so this is, this is more than um, just a, an introduction to the light of the world part. This is Jesus saying that he is, I am, who is the light of the world. The, the, the kind of crescendo moment is when, when the, this argument that goes on for chapters and chapters between the, the Jewish leaders and, and Jesus and the Jewish crowds and Jesus about who he is, uh, and they talk about, well, we'll just stick with Abraham, our father, thank you. And Jesus says, well, before Abraham was, I am. And he states it in unequivocal terms. And so Jesus is claiming here to be God, who is the light of the world. And so that's why uh, the reason I kind of want to highlight that is because Jesus is the blazing light of the world. Uh, I like the song, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I like that song. The only issue I have with it is if the light is Jesus, it's not a little light. 
It is the light that gives light to the entire world. It's the light that we read about in Revelation that says uh, in that day when, when this world has passed and we're living in the new heavens and the new earth and we're living in the manifest glory of God, it's the light that we're told we won't need the sun or the moon or the stars because that light will be so radiant there's no other need for any other light. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. He is gone. And so apparently in, in Jerusalem there was this ritual. Like last week we spoke about the water ritual where they pour out water on the altar. And so Jesus says, I am living water. I am living water. And, and so uh, this week um, he says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and so there's apparently this ritual in Jerusalem about lights. They would light up these massive, they're called bowls, but I imagine them to be basins given the description of the size of them. And so there would be these enormous golden bowls filled with oil and they would use uh, spent or, or used uh, priestly robes as a wick, which gives you a uh, kind of idea of the size of these bowls that they would fill with oil and then they would light them up. And the rabbis who wrote about it said, if you have not seen this, then you've not seen anything more spectacular than it. That the, and, and you can imagine, you know, we live with such light pollution today. We have street lights. We can flick the light on in our house. We, we rarely go anywhere where it's dark. But, but in those days, there was no kind of ambient light after dark unless it was a full moon. And, and, and so the only light you would have is, is a household lamp that you had to feed with oil. And so, you know essentially the, the amount of light you might have had was, was like a good big candle walking around with that. And so if you've ever been in a blackout and had to go back to, and your phone was flat, because that's kind of cheating these days, we've got our, we'd flick on the iPhone torch, but if you've had, ever had to resort to using just a candle for light, you realize how you know, it does an okay job, but you don't really see that well. So in a world where that was their experience of light in darkness, these great cauldrons of, of, of oil been lit up and, and illuminating essentially all of Jerusalem would have been a spectacular sight. And so it's in that context, with that understanding, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not just Jerusalem. It reminds me of my 18th birthday party, which was two or three years ago, um, more than 20, in fact, two decades ago. Um, being, a, being a country boy, being a farm boy, uh, 18th birthday parties were a competition in some sense about who could have the largest bonfire. Um, and so uh, my dad and I set to work, chainsaws and tractors and piling up wood uh, into a massive heap in the kind of the closest paddock to our house. And, um, you know, there was lots of nice big gum logs in there as well. But we, we also piled a whole bunch of uh, Dad had kind of cleared an area of, of pine. Uh, and so we piled, piled a whole bunch of pine trees, essentially, whole trees into this massive pile. And so if you know anything about how different types of wood burn, pine is quite explosive in the way it burns. And so yeah, when we'd all gathered around the bonfire, we lit it up. And there was a moment where it was like, oh, it's so beautiful, the fire. And then we had to retreat about 50 metres from it for about half an hour because of the intensity of the heat. But I just remember looking, it wasn't just the paddock it lit up. You know, this is night in Moonby, which is um, you know, further from any significant city than Yass is. And so uh, night time was, was dark. There was no kind of light pollution to speak of. And, but I just remember for, for, for a little while, this bonfire 
to celebrate my birth, <laughs> this bonfire lit up the kind of entire Moonbi Valley, it, it seemed. Uh, it was this spectacular light in the midst of darkness that you could not miss. And so, you know, when I read about that, that J- Jewish festival of, 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 of lighting the lights and, and the memory that they would have had, uh, it, it just reminded me that Jesus is not a little candle. He's the light that lights up all of Moonbi, the valley that I lived in. He's the light that lights up all of Jerusalem. But not just that, he is the radiant, glorious, blazing light that lights up the entire world. He's not just this little light of mine. Jesus is the light of the world. And so light and darkness in Scripture has has such a rich theological meaning. It's one of the ways that we were introduced to Jesus. If we go back to John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it's one of the ways that John introduced us to who Jesus is in an eternal sense. It says in verse 4 and 5, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so, though we're told that future will come where Jesus manifest presence will be all the the light we need physically in that sense Uh, there's also a spiritual theological meaning here to light and darkness scripturally light means good darkness means evil light means peace but but more than peace not just the absence of conflict that concept we have of peace but that that biblical picture of shalom of everything as it should be and darkness is representative of troubles, conflict. But light is also representative of truth. And darkness representative of, of lies, deceit. Light is representative of, of clarity. Light enables us to see. And so when, when Jerusalem is lit up by those cauldrons or on that day 20 or so years ago when Moonbi was lit up momentarily by my bonfire, it enabled us to see things that we couldn't see in the dark. It sounds stupidly obvious to say, but that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the light that enables us to see what we could not see in the darkness. And so Jesus illuminates truth. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so whoever follows Jesus, whoever commits their life to his purpose and pursues him will never walk in darkness. We will never not have truth. We will never not have goodness. We will never not have shalom. We will we'll never not have the capacity to see. And so we jump from there with that understanding of the context of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. To, to what Tony read for us this morning in, in, in verse 31, we get this concept of, of something deeper going on about truth. Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. It's one of those lines of scripture that um, is perhaps you know, transcended, if you can transcend scripture, that's probably not the right language to use, but ha- ha- has gone beyond the, the confines of Christianity, that phrase, the truth shall set, set you free. And, and so uh, sometimes used to justify, well, you know, I'm just trying to set that person free. I've dropped a truth bomb on their life. I've told them everything I think about them and I perceive that as truth, but I've only told them that to set them free. So for me, I want to ask the question, what kind of truth is Jesus talking about here? Because it's not the truth about all different kinds of things. It's not the truth about what is the hundredth character of pi. I may be impressed if you know it. You could tell me it's anything and I'd go, okay, sure. I am not going to bother looking that up to check. It's four. Mr. Harding from uh, a local high school uh, (laughs) says it's four. Um, But that truth, as impressive as it is, James, that truth will not set you free from literally anything. The truth about the weather won't set you free. It might help avoid you getting wet if you look, look at it and you take an umbrella, but that's not going to set you free. The truth about what your neighbor's really up to, that's not what's going to set you free. Gossip about what he said or she said or did and did not do, that's not the kind of truth that will set you free. See, we, we sometimes put all kinds of things under these, this banner of truth and I'm just seeking truth because the truth, if you know the truth, then the truth sets you free. And I'm not saying those kinds of truth are all bad things. Maybe, yep, gossip is a bad thing, but, but there are kinds of truth to seek that set us off on unhealthy pathways. But it's not that, that, all, that we shouldn't want to know some areas of truth, but, but we shouldn't fall for the lie that whatever the truth is will set us free. Because that's not the kind of truth that Jesus is talking about. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the truth that Jesus is talking about is the truth of his teaching. He's talking about the truth of his identity. This whole middle section of John, we've been exploring this question of who is Jesus really? We're still having that argument and that's why I'm kind of not pulling apart all these different arguments because we've done it for weeks and weeks about who is Jesus really? Is he a man? Is he a prophet? Is he a Messiah? Is he the Son of Man? Is he God himself? And so it's the truth about Jesus' identity that will set us free. It's actually Jesus who will set us free. If we follow Jesus, he is the truth that sets us free. In John chapter 14, which we will get to in due course, Jesus says, I am, another I am phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so it's Jesus' teachings that's the truth, it's his identity that's the truth, but it's simply, if we boil it down, Jesus is the truth that sets us free. 
It's not a quest to unearth secret hidden truth about what's happening on the other side of the world that sets us free. It's the truth that is Jesus that sets us free. And so for some, the idea of following Jesus, which they typically put just under the banner of religion, is something profoundly restricting. The idea of, of surrendering your life to Jesus is something that, well, that's just all about restriction. It's a whole list of can'ts. You can't do this, you can't do that. It's, it's you know, do not murder. Huh, that doesn't sound like fun. Do not lie, do not steal. Of course, there's more to it than that, but... Um, that's, that's the perspective that many people have on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But, but Jesus says here that following me, that's him, not me, following Jesus is not about restriction. It's not about constraining us, making life more burdensome for us. Freedom, not restriction is found in following Jesus. Freedom and not restriction is found in following Jesus. And those who are listening to Jesus had a response that I think a lot of us have in the world today. whether we're believers in Jesus or not already, that they responded in, in, in verse 33 with this. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be free? And so they respond to Jesus' offer of, of freedom by saying, well, we're not slaves. We're already free. You're trying to sell ice to Eskimos here, which, sorry if that's the wrong term racially. You're trying to sell something we don't need. We're already free. We've never been slaves, which is really ironic. I mean, maybe they didn't perceive themselves as individuals as being slaves, but it's really ironic for them to be having this theological conversation. And these are people that were told believing in Jesus at this point, believing that he's the Messiah, that he's a rabbi, that he's a teacher. They're believing at some level and they're having this conversation and they're saying, what do you mean freedom? We've never been slaves. That's really ironic. When one of the defining features of Israel as a people is that they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. It's really ironic when one of the more recent defining features of who they are now as a nation is that they were completely conquered and exiled and taken to other nations as slaves. It's really ironic that they would say, well, we've never been slaves. Why are you offering freedom that when they even returned to the promised land and that great uh, redemptive moment that that was, they still returned under the authority of another power, of another empire. And at no point... Up until this point, from exile to this point, are they free? They were under Persian oppression. 
Now they're under Roman oppression. They are not a free nation. They're a client state of the Roman Empire. And so you would think that they say, freedom, that is the thing that our people have been hungering for for thousands of years. But instead they say, well, what do you mean? We're not slaves. And so they were so used to slavery and oppression that it had become normal. That's my, my thought on that. That they were so used to being slaves or being oppressed or being under the power of, an, of another oppressive empire that that had just become normal for them. That's, that's just life. And so when, when Jesus holds out the offer of freedom, they're like, well, I've already got all the freedom I can possibly imagine. But I suspect that we are a lot like that a lot of the time. We are so used to areas of bondage in our life that it just feels normal. We are so used to the areas of sin and brokenness and hardship and suffering and oppression, be that spiritual or natural. We're so used to it so often that it just feels normal. And so when we hear Jesus' words offering freedom, we kind of think the same thing. Well, I can't imagine being any more free. Australia is a free country. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm good. And so my question for you this morning is, are you so used to something in your life that it just feels normal? Are you so used to an area of sin or brokenness or oppression or sickness or anxiety or pain or conflict? Are you so used to something in your life that is not freedom that you've just kind of become to accept it as normal? That you're in a place where, where you're living with, with something that makes you not free, but you can't imagine what it means to be any more free than you are right now. Is that you? I want to be bold enough to say I think that's every single one of us in this room. I don't know about the people watching at home online. I can't see who they are. But I suspect it's true of them as well. That's not because the people in the room are an exceptionally broken bunch of people. But that's because we are all like these Jews. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'll be free? I'm not a slave. What good is freedom to me when I already have it? And so Jesus wants to lead the crowd here in this scripture. And I believe today he wants to lead us to a place of understanding that we are in fact not free so that he might lead us to what true freedom is. We have to give up on holding to what we think is freedom so that we can experience the kind of freedom that only Jesus can imagine for us. Because here's the thing, you cannot imagine the degree of freedom for which Jesus wants for you. We don't step into it. We don't seek it out all too often because we can't imagine what it looks like. 
Sure, if we're in prison, if we're uh, in a particularly persecuted group of people, then, then, then we might cry out to Jesus for freedom. The dangerous place that we live in when it comes to freedom is we don't realize that we're not free. And so in verse 34 and 36 to, to 36, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so Jesus is saying to, to this group of people who claim, well, we're descendants of Abraham. Well, that means we're part of God's people. And, and so that means we're free. And so Jesus says, well, yeah, you're part of the household. But you've not been set free by, by a member of the family yet. You know, a slave was part of the household. And, and in some situations, uh, for some people... This is totally not an endorsement of slavery at all from Scripture. But, but for some slaves in this time in a household, they might have had a pretty comfortable, good place in the household. They might, in some places, have been almost treated as, as members of, of, of family, but not quite, because that wasn't their status. And so Jesus is saying, well, yes, you're, you're part of the household of God because you're Abraham's descendants, you're, you're, you're in, but he says you're not fully in. You're not yet a full part of the family. You've not yet truly been set free from your slavery because a member of the family has not done that yet. He says you're, you're still enslaved. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So sin is one of those things that we get deeply offended by the way other people sin and comfortable with the way that we do it. We might be outraged by someone else's sin, but eh, mine's not so bad. Little ones. Little ones. Jesus says, if there's any sin in us, we're slaves to sin. But he also says that if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And so Jesus is offering an invitation to this group of Jews that have entered into some level of belief in him. He's offering an invitation for a deeper freedom than they can possibly comprehend. He, he's offering them an invitation to, to a freedom, to a slavery that has become so entrenched in their lives that they can't possibly comprehend a life without it. And I want to encourage you to hear this morning that that is what Jesus is offering you right here, right now. Wherever you are, Jesus is offering you an invitation to a freedom that you can't comprehend what that even looks like. Because Jesus is the Son. 
He's a fully-fledged member of God's household, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has the authority, he has the power to welcome you in as a full member of God's family. He has the authority and the power and the capacity through his sacrifice on the cross to set you completely free from sin so that you'll be free indeed. What that means is truly free, completely free. Freedom without restraint on that freedom. Freedom to be who we truly were created to be. And so true freedom is found in Jesus. I want to just grab here for a moment. I know I've mentioned it a couple of times, but I want to grab that, that Jesus here is talking to those who, those Jews who believed in him, we're told. And so, yes, if you're, if you're here this morning or if you're connecting with this message online, if you're listening to this and you're not yet a believer in Jesus, this is absolutely an invitation to you to come to Jesus, to find forgiveness in Him and to be free in a way that you've never known before. But I don't want us who, who already have belief in Jesus to miss this this moment, this part of that scripture, this is Jesus speaking to those who are already entered into belief. At what level? We don't know. It's not for us to judge, you know, have they entered into a saving belief or not. But they, they believe in Jesus. They've already bought in. Just like many of us. And Jesus is saying to them, that there is an invitation to a greater freedom than we know. You may have experienced a great freedom in coming to Jesus. I hope that you did. That's how it should work. But I don't want us to rest at that point where we think that's all the freedom there is to have. Because Jesus wants to set you completely and absolutely free from every area of bondage, of brokenness, of sin, of suffering, of pain. He wants to set you completely and absolutely free. Freedom comes from following Him, from believing in Him, holding to His teaching. He says, if you believe in me. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He is the light of the world that illuminates the truth. As our worship team come up for a moment, uh, Ali's not allowed five meters within anyone so she can, she can hold off to stage left for a moment. A bit of our musicians come. We'll draw to a close. And I, and I want to finish with this question. Do you have room for him? Do you have room for his light? Do you have room for his truth? Do you have room for his word in your life? Because in John chapter 8, verse 37, this conversation continues. And Jesus says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me. Because you have no room for my word. You have no room for my word. And so I want to ask us this morning, do we have room for his word? Do you have room for his word?
I, I don't mean, do you have time in your day for a, a, a Bible reading? I don't mean, do you have time, do you show up to church often enough? I don't mean, you know, are you reading the scriptures often enough? That's, that's part of it, I guess, but I, that's not what I mean. I mean, do you have room in your life for his word? Do you have room in your understanding of who he is to understand that he desires things for you that you can't possibly comprehend? Do you have room in your life to be completely transformed by his word? Do you have room to be shifted, to be molded, to be shaped by it? Do you have room in the darkness of your life to allow his light to completely illuminate it? Do you have room to hear truth? To have Jesus illuminate truth? Do you have room to be completely undone and rebuilt by his word? Or is it something that's just out here? It's kind of around there. It gets a read. You listen to a preach. But it doesn't get deeper than the surface. Do you have room for his word? Because when we let his word in, when we create space for it, when it becomes the governing principle, the defining thing in our life, when it becomes the thing that shapes every aspect of us, when we seek to not just hear it but live out its teachings, when we seek to build our life upon it, when we seek to depend upon it, when we seek to live in it and through it, that's when we'll know the truth. That's when the truth will set us free. And so Holy Spirit, the great renovator of our souls, We pray this morning that you would clear the clutter. We recall the parable of the sower and the soil which the, the word took root and grew up but didn't bear any fruit because the concerns of the world choked it out. So we pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would renovate our souls, that you would till the soil, that you would create space, not for the word just to find root but be completely unfruitful, but to find root and bear much fruit. We create space this morning, Holy Spirit, for your word for the word of Jesus, for the truth that is Jesus, to illuminate truth. I pray that you would give us visions this morning as we rest in this place of Jesus' presence, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us visions of the freedom that only you can see for us.
We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Light up the darkness that we might see, believe, know the truth, and be set free in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.